is Jessen Tompkins. So Jessen is our volunteer of the week this week. It's good. All right, couple things. Let's turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Again, while we're turning there, if you are a visitor because of the baptism today, we want to welcome you. Let's welcome all our visitors, right? Also, the daddy-daughter dance. It's a limited uh, attendance, uh, so uh, tickets are in the back. You have to get those in order to come, so you'll want to see Stephanie Johnson uh, before you leave today on there. Now, we're going to be in the same text that we was last week, and I told you that the sermon series from uh, uh, Victim to Victor was setting us up for Easter, and so we're going we're to stay right where we were last week, but we're just moving forward. Everybody say we're moving forward. So in verse 32, it's a familiar portion of Scripture. Obviously, you know this well. Uh, you know, it's the death of Lazarus and Jesus uh, not liking funerals. Hello, somebody. And verse 32, it, it, the story continues for us in a way that's powerful. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And the Bible says what? And the Bible says what? So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them could not. Uh, could not he have opposed or opened the eyes of the blind and also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and they laid a stone in front of it. Just a little pro tip here, parents. If you're trying to get your kids to understand the revelation of Easter, maybe just stick them in a cave for a couple of days. I'm just, I'm, maybe not. I don't. Verse 39. <laughs> don't do that <laughs> Jesus said take away the stone Martha and um, the sister of the dead man said to him Lord by this time there's an odor for he's been dead for four days and Jesus said to her did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said father I thank you that you've heard me and I knew I know that you always hear me but I said on this account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Are Doug and I the only one who just, uh, you know, or just every time we read this scripture, we think about Carmen's song, Lazarus, come forth. The man who died came out, his hands and his feet. The young people are like, who's Carmen? The man who had died came out, his hand and his feet bound in linen strips, his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So, Father, would you bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Now, we start our journey to Easter. And it's, it's, it's one, Christmas and Easter are great for me in the sense that, I, and I've told you this many times, not being raised in church and uh, coming to know the Lord at age 20. Um, I, my family and I were just immediately overwhelmed with the revelation of the love of God. 
Um, we get saved in September of 1992, and you know, Easter is or Christmas happens right away, and then Easter happens back. You know, for us as new Christians, it was in, it was incredible the aspect of what we were understanding right away as we became believers, what God was doing. And I think it was sovereign hand of God in the sense that, you know, when we got saved, first we encountered the birth of Christ, and then we encountered the death and resurrection of Christ as, as we begin to grow as new believers. And the Word of God was incredible. And what we realized right away is, boy, Easter sure got some weird traditions. I mean, like, coming from a perspective of a believer at that point now, and then looking back on how we had celebrated Easter our whole life, of all the holidays, Easter has some really weird traditions. Like, I'm, I'm not real sure how, you know, rabbits and, and chickens get involved and colored eggs, and I get it. There's all kinds of things, pagan things that get put into there and, and that kind of stuff. And, and it, you know, that's not my, that's not my message because I want to get lost In some traditions, what I want to do to you this morning is say of all the traditions that happen around Easter, there's one that I hope we never, ever, ever get tired of celebrating, and that's an empty tomb. Come on. But now if you think about that from the world's perspective, that's probably a little weird too. I mean, I want to notice as we start this journey, uh, right, the, the resurrection, uh, right, that I, here's one that doesn't, we celebrate, but that doesn't have its own special holiday. The resurrection of Lazarus, no, but no one is, hello somebody. Like, can you imagine Lazarus for the rest of his life always known as the guy who didn't stay dead? I mean, he even said in there, people would come to see him. And, and can you imagine at his, at his second funeral, and people are gathered and they're a little apprehensive. Like, is he, is he, go, last time. See, I told you you don't read your Bible like that. This particular resurrection, this particular story is so special because there's some incredible truths about e Jesus as we approach Easter. It's, it points to the resurrection of Easter morning. It does something very incre incredible. And so we're encountering a resurrection before the resurrection. And we were here last week as we ended victim to victor. We were here, and, and so let's, let's just, here's scene one, right? Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha sent for Jesus because they're best friends with Jesus, right? And, and he becomes more and more sick as the time goes on. And, and they're talking about the, the condition of their brother, and they want Jesus to know. And, 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 and Jesus sent word back to them, hey, it's for the glory of God that God might be glorified. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure that struck them as kind of odd. What? Did you tell him Lazarus was sick? Yep, we told him. What did he say? It's for the glory of God. What? Did you tell him Lazarus was sick unto death? Yep. Scene 2 happens in verses 5 through 16. Lazarus dies and Jesus doesn't immediately come. 
And a few days pass, and he, tell his, he tells his disciples, Hey, Lazarus fell asleep. Let's go wake him up. And they're like, what? If he's sleeping, he'll wake up on his own. They're confused. And so Jesus explains to Lazarus has actually died, and he's happy about it. Scene 3 is 17 through 27. Jesus shows up four days after Lazarus' death. Can you imagine this scene? Can you imagine this? Everyone's sad, especially because it looked like Jesus didn't care. Mary and Martha both make a statement, Lord, if you had been here. Jesus, you could have kept this from happening. And I'm not sure if that statement was an indictment or a statement of faith. Jesus, you could have kept this from happening. I'm not sure if that's an indictment or a statement of faith. Maybe it's both. So Jesus is on the scene with his disciples and there's some onlookers because everybody is sad. And that's what we picked up at verse 32. And this should give us some confidence. That Jesus can do this for everyone who believes. As we start our Easter journey, as we start our, our, our journey to Easter Sunday morning where everything is reflective on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want us to look at the heart and the activity of the one who has the power over sin, death, and hell. Let me just say this right out front. Jesus is not indifferent to our brokenness. Jesus is not indifferent to our brokenness. Listen, over the past few few years, you and I have had a front row seat to the brokenness of this world. Sure we have. And we've had a front row seat to what that brokenness has done to us personally. It's done to us as families. It's done to us as a society. It's done to us as a culture. Not only has it brought confusion and fear and anxiety, this, this last few years actually turned families against each other. That's what brokenness does. And we've seen some pretty incredible displays of suffering, division, even hatred. It's a rock-solid case that the world that you and I live in is fallen. It's a rock-solid case that living in a fallen world means that we need redemption. And you know what I've learned in the recent sermons? You're like, well, Pastor Don, you wrote them. But listen, I'm telling you, I'm always sharing with you what God's revealing to me. You know what I've learned as God has been, been pouring out His Word to us over the last few weeks? Learning that the Bible teaches us that hardship and suffering expose what's really on the inside. I've learned some ugly things about myself by reading the Word of God. Maybe you have too. My church. 
And in the midst of all this brokenness, I'm going to be honest. It's, I, I think it's fair. It's fa- God's not scared about it. I think it's fair to really ask the question. To ask the question, does Jesus even care? I mean, is God up there in heaven literally saying, you made your bed in it, now, now lie in it? Is God, do you feel that way sometimes? I know my dad used to say that to me. You made your bed, sleep in it. You got what you wanted, now you don't want, hello somebody. And I, and I tell you, that, that always brought on a, a, a heavy load of men If you don't care, who does? You ever been there? Hey, listen, come on, let's just be honest on our journey. Let's be honest in our walk with God. Have you ever been there where you're walking through some things? Maybe you've made some mistakes in your life. And, and maybe, maybe you felt like Jesus doesn't care. Maybe you actually feel like, wow, it's, it's not even bad enough that I feel like Jesus doesn't care. It, it's, it, man, it's so much so that I even feel sometimes like God is looking down from heaven and saying, you made your bed. Am I the only one? I can't be. I'm trying to be real. Or when God looks down from heaven and sees us hurting, does he hurt too? Come on, church. When your kids are hurting, what comforts them more? When your kids are hurting, what comforts them more from you? Serves you right? Or when you get down and cry with them? If we're honest, sometimes it surely feels like God is saying, serves you right. I'm... But here's the good news as we approach Easter. God can handle it if you ever doubt that he cares. Sure he can. God is not offended by our wrestling through our faith. He can handle it. And I think John chapter 11 is recorded so we don't have to wonder about the heart of Jesus towards broken people. The shortest verse in the scripture is right here and you did read your bible let let me say this to you as a bible student that statement is greater than some trivia question It's an incredible picture of the heart of Christ. As, as Christians, we believe that God, or that Jesus is both God and man. As a man, he experienced temptation, he experienced pain, he experienced hunger, he experienced disappointment, he experienced anger, he experienced all the things that human people experience. Come on. Any dude in here ever had a man cold? 
And you're like, I wonder if Jesus ever got a cold. Uh, it doesn't matter because he could just say, be gone. Right? Like, <laughs> let me try. In the name of Jesus. Right? Like, hello, somebody. You prayed for yourself? Absolutely. I was, you know, young, learning to preach, and no one would let me preach, and those type of things. And so I, I was one day just preaching in the mirror. My wife came in and called me. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, nobody else wants to hear me. <laughs> As God, there's one thing we do know, that Jesus is all-knowing. And so here's the tension if Jesus knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, why is he so deeply moved? He told his disciples, that although be it kind of cryptically, what he was going to do. Hello, somebody. So if Jesus knows there's about to be a happy ending, why is he so moved to tears? And I think the answer is simple. Jesus cares deeply for us, and he's not indifferent to our pain. He weeps when we weep. He understands the hardship of humanity. Come on, church. He's compassionate, and he's gentle. He sees Mary and Martha grieving, and what does he do? He He weeps right alongside of them. And I need you to understand this portion of Scripture. It's not like a little bitty tear runs down his, his cheek. In the Greek, when you translate Jesus weeps, it translates into the fact that he is crying so hard that his snot's running out of his nose. And, and he's crying so hard that there's this actual hyperventilating. That, have you ever cried that hard? That's the way it translates. He is weeping. He is really, he's pouring out his emotions in this morning. It's a sobbing. It's a snot-flying, ugly cry. Come on, somebody. You ever cried like that? Man, you just, that's it. You have, you are at the bottom. It's just a snot-flying, ugly cry. You don't care. And look at the people's response who was watching. It was so moving. It wasn't just a little tear that ran down his cheek. That the people around were like, wow. He loved it. Look at how he loved him. See, that you got to read the scripture. It's telling you exactly what is happening here. And I just want to say this. Jesus is so unlike me. Come on, there's times when I hear people struggling. And while I care, I might not necessarily be moved to tears. In fact, sometimes my heart can be indifferent. Serves them right. I told them. <laughs> Come on, Pappish. I remember one day in my office, me and Justin Pappish were having a conversation. I said, did I tell you not to do that? And he said, yep. Did you do that anyway? Yep. I don't know, man. Right? I'm not crying. Was I crying? I wasn't crying, was I, brother? I, I wasn't. I was in the mood for him to cry. 
<laughs> you know what I love about Justin? He received it that day. Afterwards, we prayed. It was pretty emotional. Not Jesus. Jesus always identifies with our pain and our brokenness, and he cares deeply about what we're going through. Yes, he does. What's going on here is more than just his friend's pain. I need you to understand what's going on here is a revelation that death was not a part of God's original plan. Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled is what the scripture says. Therefore, Romans chapter 5 verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spreads to all men because all sinned. Jesus is standing before the tomb of his friend. And there's a lot more going on here than just crying because someone died. Come on, church. Jesus is upset at the mess that sin has made. How it's destroyed his creation. And he's reminded in this moment, standing in front of the tomb of his friend, with all the other friends that he had, weeping. He's reminded in this moment how much he hates death. And so Jesus weeps over brokenness. And at the same time, over our brokenness too. Come on, somebody. Y'all not helping me this morning. But here's the best part of the story. You ready? You ready? Jesus doesn't just weep. He takes action. Amen. Come on, this is why we love Jesus. Because yeah. he just not going to... You know, a lot of people who just show up and cry. And a lot of people will just stand in front of you in a moment where you feel like you have wrecked your life and go, well, I'll pray for you. And while that, listen, while that sentiment is, is uh, you, you know what I'm saying? You, let's be honest. In those moments, you, it's not that you don't want prayer. It's just that you need something more than prayer. You need somebody to take some action, step in, do some things. You need something to happen. You need something to move you from your broken spot to where you really want to be. And Jesus does something about the brokenness right in front of him. Jesus is not content to give the old, well, I'm sorry for your lost speech. That's not who he is. He puts legs under his words of love and proves it to us. We just spent weeks talking about how Jesus is able to overcome. Let me ask you a question. On a very basic level, what was Lazarus' real problem? He's dead. Come on, of all the problems I got right now, right now, that ain't one of them. It's the same thing that many of us fear. It's the same thing that many of us try to prolong. Hello, somebody. Come on, we try to eat certain foods. We put our seatbelt on. We exercise like idiots. Don't look at me like that. 
I know there's somebody in here, oh, I love to exercise. Listen, I go, I go, I go to the gym, but I'm a, I don't ever skip into the gym. Most mornings I show up and look at Bo and go, this is stupid. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. Why are you here? Because I don't want to die. Why are you here? I feel like I'm already dead. So I don't know. I read this story about this guy who's running 50 miles for 50 days in 50 states, all in the name of good health. That's just stupid. He's going to die before he gets to the end of that. He killed himself early. What are you talking about? The truth of the matter is there are people on medication right now, and maybe in this room are listening, that you have to take that medication to live. Come on. I mean, generally speaking, we try, we try to take care of our bodies. I, you know, I've got, see, Lazarus' problem might be death. Mine is little Debbie snack cakes. <laughs> they will be the death of me. Hello, somebody. But let me tell you something about death. It's got a 100% success rate. Even in Lazarus' case. And there's nothing we can do to solve the problem. You know why? Because one day we'll all be in Lazarus' shoes. No man's promise tomorrow. It's appointed unto man once to. And then the judgment. That man's got, you know what? You got an expiration date. I spent, listen, I spent 20 years of my life in the grocery business before I went into full-time ministry, right? One of the biggest things in the grocery store is the expiration date, right? Like everything's got an expiration date. Listen, natural honey, they want to put an expiration date on it. And I'm like, they found honey in the tombs of Pharaohs, 3,000 years old. It's still as perfect as it's ever been. You don't put an expiration date on honey. But it's got one. Come on, somebody. Come on, you, you, ever, you ever see, I'm just a dude, so like, you know, come on, guys. You ever go to the refrigerator and there's a package of like sandwich meat and, and, and you look at it and it's like expired a day or two and you're like, that's ah, good. We all right. Right? We all right. We're good. Or you see the date on the milk. As soon as you see the date, you just don't throw it in the garbage. No, you don't. You, you take the cap off of it months and then you smell it. Yes, you do. I know. You don't trust that date. But everybody's got a date. The problem is you just don't know it. You don't know when your date is. But every one of us is going to be in Lazarus' shoes. But here is what I want us to believe with every fiber of our being. There is a way. There is a way. There is a way to deal with it when death comes. Listen, verse 38, 39, here it is. Jesus came to the tomb. He came to the tomb. Are you with me, church? It was a cave, and they laid a stone against it. And Jesus said, who put that there? Who put a grave? Y'all not helping me. In a place where I, who put a gravestone in a place I wasn't done? Roll out away. I not done I'm not finished I got some stuff to do nothing's in my way who put a gravestone in a place where I wasn't finished listen I don't want to re-preach it from last week but that was good 
Can you imagine? Everybody standing there. This dude's been dead four days. Everybody standing there had never seen a person who was dead come back to life. They never seen this. What they had seen is dead people stink. So they doubted, and Martha says, by this time, there's an odor. I like the King James translation here. I really do. I like the whole King Jimmy put it right, man. She said, by this time, he stinketh. He stinketh. Come on, somebody. And that's probably an understatement. When I was in Africa, Nigeria, there was a, a, a man who had, um, he, in the village we were in, there was a man who had been stealing. And the police were not doing anything about crime because they, the police had not been paid in six months. And so they, they had decided, the military and the police, they're not going to do anything about crime until, unless somebody pays them. And so this man had been stealing, and, and we got there, and there's this, this dead man laying in the street, in the road. We were driving. We had to back up and pull around him. And um, he, was, he was naked, and his, he had been beaten so bad that his legs were broken, and he was twisted laying there, this big gash. And, and I said to the guy who was driving, I was like, hey, is somebody coming to take care of this? And he said, oh, no. This is jungle justice. And this is what happens to people who steal in this area. And so he has to lay there for seven days. No one is allowed to touch him so that everyone in this area knows you don't steal. And every day we left and we went to churches and we did revival. We did all these things. We did some work and we were working in leadership. We did these things every day for seven days. We'd come back in and, and his, I just need you to understand his ministry expanded every day. It's 100 degrees in Lagos, Nigeria during the day and it's 100 degrees at night. And I grew up on a farm and we had cattle and hogs and I, I know what the smell is of of, of an animal who had died and you didn't find it for a day or two in the summer, Florida summer heat. Hello, somebody. But this smell was something you can never, ever, ever, ever explain. And the little kids would walk by with their handkerchiefs over there. It was like nothing you could see and understand. And sure enough, on the eighth day, he was gone. And I don't know who was tasked with moving him. But I can bet you that it wasn't pleasant. By the fourth day, they're saying, by this time, he, this is not good, Jesus. Don't make us victims again. And the doubt is there, and I love Jesus' response. He didn't condemn them. He said, hey, hey, did I not tell you? That if you would believe, you'd see the glory of God. I love how Jesus addresses her doubts because it's the same way he addresses my doubts and your doubts. He does not condemn us for them. He doesn't. You see, the opposite of faith is doubt. It's, it's not doubt, it's unbelief. Come on. If there wasn't doubt, faith wouldn't be required. 
I love the fact that doubters are free and welcome to approach Jesus with their doubts. You remember the, the, the father with the son? He's like, hey, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I'm just exhausted. Come on, somebody. I, I believe, but help my unbelief. How many times did Jesus speak to his disciples and say, where's your faith? How many times did he look at them and use someone else and say, I've never seen such great faith? Jesus is not scared of doubt. He comes to to comfort us in a moment of brokenness to help us understand that doubt is often a result of a misplaced faith. You've been believing in the wrong things. Maybe you've been believing for the wrong thing. And see, the power of Easter is the fact that doubters are confronted with an empty tomb. That's the power of Easter. Look where our doubts come from. The same place we start when life falls apart. We're in the same spot. Martha's worst fear had come true. Her brother was dead. And Jesus had let it happen. Can I say this to you? There's hardly anything more scary than Jesus showing up too late. Even the Jewish mourners who are there, you know what they said? Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You see, Jesus' delay was attributed to his indifference. And for a second time, the Bible says that Jesus was deeply moved. So if he's deeply moved, why the delay? If he's deeply moved, why wait? If he's deeply moved, why the pause? And the answer is Jesus' prayer in front of the tomb. He wanted all the bystanders to believe that he was sent by God to save people, to make people who were dead become alive. Come on, church. Come on, church. Nothing's worse than dead religion. It's just an empty tomb. Somebody roll a grave over. Jesus has no need for dead religion. He's here to resurrect some things inside of his body, inside of his people. He's here to make us come alive. And he said, Lord, I thank you that I am here so they can believe. And the same is true for every person in this room. He wants you to believe he has the power to overcome sin and death and hell. And that's the purpose of raising Lazarus from the dead. And that was the purpose of God, raising Jesus from the dead on that first Easter morning. Jesus is able to overcome. And that's the message of Easter. Easter's the answer to the greatest problem in the world. The problem of sin that you cannot fix. The problem of death that you cannot escape. And the problem of hell that you do not want to encounter. And so hear me this morning, what Jesus did for Lazarus physically, 
he wants to do for you through his grace spiritually. I need you to understand this and everyone in this room that hears there is no limit on his amazing grace. There's no situation he cannot overcome. There's no one too far gone that can't experience the grace of God. Jesus says, here's a man dead four days and everybody believes it is over. And Jesus stands in front of it is over and said, it ain't too far gone. Watch this. Watch this. You know what Jesus did? He did for Lazarus what Lazarus could not do for himself. And I believe that's what he's still doing today. He's doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. He died. He died on a cross. To bed dead, he didn't know. Because we had a sin debt we couldn't pay. See, sin not only rendered us hopeless, it rendered us helpless. The world says to us, you made your bed, now lie in it. But Jesus said, you made your bed, and I'm here to rescue you from it. Glory to God. Come on, somebody. How great is Jesus, the one who knew no sin but became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. First Corinthians 15 ought to be the testimony of our life. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. I mean, so good. Now, we got, we got some people to get baptized this morning. Come on, we got to hurry. Let's, let's close this, this. Let's do this. Let's make a shocking statement. Y'all right? Hold on to each other. You can agree with everything I just said and still bust the doors of hell wide open. Why? Because Jesus demands a response. John 11 is not primarily about Lazarus. It's not primarily about death. It's not primarily about sorrow. John chapter 11 is about Jesus. It's about a Jesus who's not indifferent to you or your brokenness or your pain. It's about a Jesus who wants to involve himself in your life in every way. It's about a Jesus, the only one who could solve the greatest problem, sin, death, and hell. It's about a Jesus who came to weep and mourn with you. What Jesus is doing here in John chapter 11 is he is revealing the future. It's so good. He's expressing to us a reality that is greater than religion or traditions could ever express to us. Do you know that Lazarus' death and resurrection was a precursor to Jesus' death and resurrection? Hmm. You ever go to the movies? 
Some of y'all been in the movies. Y'all, y'all been to see Jesus Revolution? Some of y'all been there? You, you, you had to watch previews before you watched the movie? Am I the only one who gets aggravated with those things? Get on with the show! I almost finished my whole bucket of popcorn before they get done with the previous. What do they do? They show you the preview of coming attractions. And then you like me. There are times when you like me, you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. We got to see that one. What was that date? Sometimes I look over at my wife. Because, you know, good movies start really coming out in May and June. The summer events, right? That's when the good movies start coming out. And you're like, and I love going to the movie theater. We grew up poor. I couldn't go to the movie theater. I can, listen, I'm not a rich man now, but I can go to the movie theater. I'm going to go to the movie theater. I'm going to buy the big bucket of popcorn. And yeah, I'm going to, $10 on the Coke. Sit there. I'm going to enjoy this thing. My wife's birthday is usually around Mother's Day and some big movie will come out around the first of May, second week of May, and I'll look over and go, happy birthday to you. We're going to the movies. We're going to the movies. There's a preview. It's a pre- See, that's what John chapter 11 is. It's a preview to coming attractions. It's a preview to Jesus and his personal resurrection. Come on, church. A day was coming when Jesus would one again show his power over sin and death and hell and walk out of a tomb that held him as a captive and say, listen, if I'm free, you're free. He says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he dead, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Man, that's a great question. So I want to ask you. The same question, do you believe? Not do you agree, but do you believe even to the point of surrender? Do you believe even to the point of surrender? One of the saddest things as a pastor is to encounter people who agree intellectually, but aren't willing to believe to the point of reorienting their lives around that truth. This morning, Omen's going to get baptized he's from the same country my wife is from which is full of buddhism and those things and i love that jesus doesn't have to be anti something to reveal himself as the greatest come on i love it and i we spent three weeks in uh thailand and and that was an incredible gift to us and uh, to be able to see my wife's home country again and and but i'll be honest with you man after about two weeks there, we felt this spiritual oppression on our life. And one night, we just decided, hey, we're, we're not going to go with the group, and, and we don't want to go see another temple. Yeah. Now, I'm not beating them down, because I had some great conversation with those Buddhist monks. They will talk to me, and that made me so happy. I was like, let's talk about it. And we would talk about Jesus, and we would talk about the prophets, and we'd talk about the scripture, and we'd talk about righteousness, and we'd talk about all those things. And they would talk to me about it. And I loved all those things. But one night we decided just, we're not going to go, we're just going to stay in. And we got a call from Lynette, and she says, hey, hey, Tim's sister is in Thailand right now with her husband, and they're free tonight, and they'd like to know if you want to go to dinner. And I was like, Yes. They were in Chiang Mai. We were in Chiang Mai, and we had this restaurant, and we didn't want to leave. Not only because the food was amazing, 
But because there was this connection, right? This connection that happens in the spiritual realm that lets us know that this is more than an intellectual thing that we're doing. Omens turned his life around and gave his heart and life to Jesus. And he didn't have to be anti where he came from to love Jesus. Come on, somebody. Too many people today live as Jesus fans. But Jesus isn't interested in a fan club. Oh, my. I said it. Jesus is looking for completely surrendered committers. Completely surrendered committers. And he's inviting us to believe to the point of surrender. Let me say this to us very carefully. And you hear me with all the grace that's in my heart. Jesus is not a get out of hell free card. Heaven is not a place for those people who don't want to go to hell. It's a place for people who love Jesus and it's evidenced by their obedience to him. That's what it means to believe. This morning maybe you're here and you can identify with Mary and Martha. And you sh- maybe you're struggling because someone you know is struggling. Maybe you're struggling because it feels like God ain't showing up on time. And if that's you, I want you to be encouraged. Because while Jesus very rarely shows up early, he never shows up late. And you can tweet that. And better yet, he's not indifferent to your pain. Be encouraged that when you hurt, he hurts. When you weep, he weeps. But maybe this morning you're like Lazarus and your problem is you are dead. Dead in your trespasses and dead in your sins. But here's the good news of Easter. Jesus is able to resurrect you through the gift of salvation. And there's no question about that. And if you're not saved in this place this morning, the only question I have for you is do you believe? Come on. If you're in this place this morning, the only question I have for you is do you believe? Come on, church. This is a morning. To start our Easter journey, we might as well get it right and get it ready. Amen. That's so good. So good to be reminded of the beauty of Easter. You see these, uh, you see these people walking around here, they're going to get changed because there's baptism happening also. I don't know that there's a better, uh, a 